Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Bernice Harrison, standing in this week for Cathy Sheridan. Later, I'll be talking to Beck Dory Stein, who has written a memoir, From the Corner of the Oval Office, which is an account of her five years as a White House stenographer. But first, in case you haven't noticed, there's been a dramatic increase in the amount of football on the telly in the last few weeks. And as it's 2018, no one objects to women getting involved in the conversation. Or do they? One thing's for certain, women have been seen and heard more in the coverage of this year's World Cup, which comes to a close on Sunday, July 15th, with Croatia facing France in the final. More women have presented sports programmes, provided punditry, reported and even live commentary for the first time ever throughout the competition. Not everything has changed utterly, but baby steps in the right direction nonetheless. However, there have been a few incidents in the World Cup which have left people wondering just how much has actually changed in the beautiful game and whether women are being treated fairly or unfairly. FIFA has admitted that sexism is a real issue this year. Joining me in the studio today to discuss this are RTE sports presenter Jackie Hurley, Irish international footballer and RTE pundit for the World Cup Stephanie Roach and Margaret Ward, a journalist and founder of Women On Air. You're all very welcome to the podcast. Today we heard that FIFA... Uh, doing a look back on how the World Cup has gone in Russia, said that no, their worst fear is that there was going to be homophobia and racism. That hadn't come about. But what has, what they've noticed, is sexism. Uh, I think those of us who have looked at it on YouTube will have noticed all those horrible shots of female presenters outside stadiums doing vox pops and so on, being essentially assaulted by fans, except you're not supposed to say assaulted because the fans were just having the banter, you know, jumping up and kissing them and so on. Um, women have been insult- assaulted in Russia by fans. Uh, that's obviously at the really hard end of it. And at this maybe softer end, or is it, uh, if you've watched any of the matches, you will have noticed that the camera, when there's a little bit of a lull, will turn to the crowd. And they don't turn to anybody in the crowd. They keep on picking out beautiful looking women. So that's sexism in the World Cup in one way. We're going to talk about it in another way here uh, in studio today. We're going to talk about it in terms of broadcast, what we're seeing on air in terms of the commentary. And in studio, we have RT sports presenter Jackie Hurley, Irish international footballer and RT pundit for the World Cup, Stephanie Roach, and Margaret E. Ward, a journalist and founder of Women on Air. So, Jackie, how has the World Cup been for you? It's been great. Um, a great experience for me. I've never done something like that. I worked on the Euros doing the highlights show, but I've never sort of sat in the big boys chair, if you want to call it that, and, and work with the gang, you know. So getting that experience of sitting there and working with, you know, the pundits that we have and, and the calibre of them has been brilliant mm. for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, this isn't new for you. You know, this is this is your bread and butter. You do this job anyway. Absolutely. But the thing is, I guess when you work in this game, a lot of those chairs are already filled. 
So it only becomes when you have a major tournament or an Olympics or a World Cup or something like that where those opportunities come. So for a lot of the, I mean, the young guns, if you want to call the likes of myself and some of the others, I mean, we're in our 30s. It's not like we're children, like, you know, but (laughs) I guess for a lot of us, we've sort of been waiting for different opportunities. So a World Cup kind of brings that around. And look, it is my bread and butter, but you don't get those kind of opportunities every day. Mm. So for me, it was a good step forward in my career because I hadn't really gotten to do something like that before. Will you explain just one thing to me? It seems to me that there is sort of a formula in terms of World Cup coverage. You've two fellas, two voices, uh, sort of commentating on the game as it's happening. Mm -hmm. And then you go back to the studio for the analysis. I have, while I have seen women in the studio for the analysis point, do women commentate during the match? Yes, there are some. I mean, like... There are instances around the world, actually, yeah. where, where it's happening on a regular basis. In Ireland, we still haven't scratched that. Why not? Siobhan Madigan in RTE is, is trying to go down that road a mm. little bit now. And I mean, she has been given a little bit of a lead in to, to go and do that. And it, it would be great if it would happen. But I guess we just, we're not there yet, but you know. Why, though? Because that seems to me the where, as a viewer, and I have to say, as a viewer who really doesn't know anything about about football, you know, I'm I'm look when I'm watching the match. That's the authoritative voice I'm I'm looking for. Yeah. So why do we consider the two men? And in fact, when I was I was watching a bit of it last night, and it seemed to me that one of the commentators was just reading out the names in the back of the jerseys. <laughs> do you know? And I thought, yeah. okay, I could do yeah. that. Well, look, I mean, even in the UK, Vicky Sparks did this World Cup, you know, for the BBC, and like did a brilliant job, you know. So you're looking at it and you're going, look, people can do this. I have no doubt that if you stuck a co-com in there who would be very competent. From my point of view, I mean, it's something that I have been asked to do. I I don't mind saying that on air. And I would have had reservations about it because I just, my eyesight isn't great anyway, which would be a big limitation for me. I'd be worried about misidentifying. And I think with women, maybe we're just a little bit nervous that if you do put put yourself out there and you make a mistake, you'll be the one hammered for it. Like, I'm very comfortable with what I do right now. Like, in in the presenter's chair, I could say, look, I know I'm going, I'm doing a good job here. So I know I won't be slated for this. But if you step into something that you're not 100% sure of, people might then take that as the sort of stick to beat you with. So I think from a women's point of view, we just haven't got somebody there yet because maybe we haven't invested enough time in making them confident enough to Mm -hmm. do it. That would be my view. Well, Margaret, this is where I'm going to ask you because when I'm hearing, you know, Jackie say all that, that she should be kind of nervous that she might get it. And I'm thinking, what? In my mind, I'm thinking, what? I've heard I've heard male commentators going, oh, no, I don't think that is Henderson. That's Maguire. You know, so on. They don't mind getting it wrong. No, they don't. And and it's something that's very interesting uh, that I guess I found a bit of a surprise eight years ago as well when I founded Women on Air. And I'd say, why don't you just put your name forward? Why don't you raise your hand? Why don't you ring up the radio station? Why don't you go on the conference panel? Because I was doing all of that and I couldn't understand why other people weren't. And when you'd ask them, the main thing was, I, I don't know enough about that or I need more time to prepare. These are people who had PhDs in their subject area, right? And you're like, you've been teaching this for 20 years. What do you mean you need time to prepare for a three minute radio interview. So I think that the way that women, particularly in Ireland, are socialized is that really the best thing to do is to be a good girl and keep your mouth shut and don't have opinions because that's not very attractive. So putting yourself out there as somebody who has an opinion, a woman with an opinion, is not necessarily seen as a nice thing. So I think that you have to overcome a lot of social and personal uh, and community barriers in order to feel that you're entitled to have a voice. 
mm. Irish society. Mm. Well, I mean, for, for football, if anybody again wants to, to, to feel their blood pressure going right through the roof, playback Patrice Evra. Uh, it was a commentary on the Costa Rica match on ITV. And it was a panel and actually... Unusually, it was a gender balance panel. I don't you remember. There's two men, yep. two women. Um, and she, Enia Luko, I, I don't know, but I do know that she is an English international and she gave a very, very, very considered analysis of the game. And uh, Patrice started clapping, applauding. It was horrifying. Patronising. So they don't score a lot of goals and they're playing against a team in, in Serbia who do score a lot of goals. That's a perfect link. Thank you, Annie. To talk about <laughs> the goal-scoring prowess. Oh, he's good, isn't it? She's oh, good. good. Oh, Thanks, guys. <laughs> of Thanks. Serbia in Alexander. But you see, yeah. from his point of view, he was thinking, oh, wow, that's great. She did really well. She did it. And I'm sure in, in his mind, he didn't see how it looked to people. But, I mean, that's not even just a woman's point of view. Anybody with eyes watching the TV <laughs> can see that and go... What are you doing? Yeah. You know, and I just, it was patronizing on so many levels. Number one, this girl has played over a hundred times for her country. They didn't just pull her in off the street. I mean, she actually has a view. She knows how to play the game. And on top of that, you're doing this on a national broadcaster with millions of people watching you. And I just think he should have been pulled up for it and mm. said, look, be responsible yeah, so for your actions here. Because you see, social media needs but to be an, on. But, but you why see, in the studio, in, wasn't he? We can make people accountable on social media to a certain extent where mm. we say, listen, that's not good enough. But like, we're policing ourselves there and saying, listen, I don't like this or I don't like that. But like, that's not the forum for it either. Like, mm. I mean, somebody at a higher level needs to say, do you know what? He's been suspended for that or he's been spoken to. And maybe that's too strong. I don't know. Mm. But my personal feeling would have been if she got a hold of him off air afterwards, she'd be like, don't you ever do that to me again. Yeah. You are publicly humiliating me and I will not sit in a chair beside you if you ever try something like that again. But this kind of thing happens all the time, every day, and not just in sport. I mean, I, I know of many instances of women who have gone on Irish radio and television only to be humiliated by a male broadcaster. Like, where they would come on to speak about sport, not sport, to speak about business, to speak about politics, told that that was the premise of why they were coming on. And then there would be these comments that would completely undermine them as an expert, undermine their professionalism, and basically put them back in their place according to their gender. But, you, you know, I'm reading here, um, Jenny's put together a list of World Cup women's moments, and maybe we, we should put the put them up online. And I mean, as you, as you said there, Jackie, BBC journalist Vicky Sparks became the first woman to commentate live on a televised World Cup match in the UK last week, while US networks Fox and Telemundo both reported that they'd featured the first woman to commentate live on the World Cup games in North America. Well, just check the date. It's 2018 and we're talking about firsts in this regard. But just slight devil's advocate here. Football, they're men playing. Should, you know, is it reasonable for just to be men commentating on it? Is it? I don't know. Is it? Well, in women's sport, we have men commentating mm -hmm. on that. I mean, we did the recent qualifier, um, Ireland's last game, and like Steph did it with Richie Sadlier beside her, you know, and nobody is saying, why is that man sitting there talking about <laughs> women's football? You yeah. know, so like, look, for me, the biggest thing is you're trying to represent your audience. So mm. we have a situation in RTE where on this World Cup, we have 
you know, Eamon Dunphy, Liam Brady, you know, who have been very well established for a very long time. And then you have Kevin Doyle yeah, who came in just for this one. Thing, yeah, there? and yes. so like yeah. there is, a, it's it's evolution, not revolution, mm. where you see these people coming in and there's a bit of youth being added to it. And all of a sudden you're saying, look, isn't that great? So it's not just a gender thing. It's yeah. also a balance that's reflecting society. Mm. So I think if you are sitting in a situation where you're watching your television, you want to go, okay, could that be me? Could that be my mm-hmm. sister? Could it be my brother? Could it be my cousin? And if it's not, then there's something wrong with the mm. picture. And I think, to be fair to RTE this time around, I think they tried to reset the balance a little bit more. I'm not saying they got it 100% perfect, but I definitely think it felt a little bit more like the New Ireland that we saw. Oh, okay. For me. Well, now, where, where are we with um, ex-footballer Jason Cundy, who was not invited to commentate on this World Cup, has come under fire for saying that women's voices are, you know what I'm going to say now, too high-pitched. I hate this. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, <laughs> chestnut. Do we really want to go there? No, is that is that just sort of so? Is that just too easy? Is that just a reflex? Is that just a no? This is one of many myths that is trotted out to basically keep women in their place. Okay, so there's this myth doing the rounds that women's voices are too high pitched for broadcast. And if you dig into that, most people will say, "Oh, there's been all this research showing that." Well. Believe me, I've taken eight years looking for that research, and it does not exist. So uh, I've also been told that microphones were designed for men's voices. <laughs> so therefore, microphones and women don't mix. Uh, also, women don't really want to have an opinion or you know get into a confrontational situation. They don't really like it. Women don't like being on panels. You wouldn't believe the number of myths that you are given, and I'm sorry, they are by men in management in media organizations who come up with excuses. Oh, another one is listeners prefer men. Mm. Listener, can you show me the data yeah. on that? Oh, no, just everybody knows everybody that apparently. Knows. Well, and that is a common myth that I'm, you have to constantly fight. I'm looking at, at, at some of the Lucy Zellick. She was attacked online by online trolls for making a point of pronouncing players' names correctly. So she obviously, you know, you know, the World Cup must be a va- horrible I mean, challenge, isn't actually. That awful that so she obviously, ma- and she was branded as annoying and insufferable. But you know what's incredible? Then when somebody does and does a, a great job, right? Like Stephanie Roach and Louise Quinn came on and did World Cup analysis, and everybody's like, "Wow, they were so good!" And like, why are you surprised by yeah. this? You know, these That's are their sport. This is what they do. Yeah. Like Louise Quinn plays at Arsenal. You know, mm. like she's like a decorated international. Stephanie Roach is one of the most famous female footballers on the planet at the moment so you're there going why would it be difficult for them to, to come in here and speak you're looking at across the water Annie Luco you mentioned mm. there earlier who's doing a phenomenal job and you see her, her alongside Alex Scott and you're going okay well they're actually good at it why are we surprised mm. by this well maybe this World Cup has been a watershed has it I don't know no, I'd, I'd like too, to think, that's too far I'd like that's to too much. think it would be but my gut feeling is that it'll be uh, one little moment in time and then we'll go back to the norm again really? once the World Cup is over. Mm, that would be my gut feeling. What's the next big sporting event? Well, there's a whole, like, you know, in the realm of it, let's say we'll have the GAA season Where this year. Where are we year. in GAA in terms like, of commentary? Because I was going to say, in mm. the GAA, like this year, Cora Staunton is working with us on RT Radio, has been a phenomenal co-commentator. She's all of a sudden um, taken it in her stride, having never done it before, never got any training. She did her first one a few weeks ago and did an unbelievable job. She's going to do more throughout the summer. And again, 
once it's been normalised and she's been established as a voice, then people are going, oh yeah, that's Cora Staunton. She plays for Mayo. She's playing down in Australia now and people start to get to know her. So I think once one has done it, there will be more. Mm. I, I can imagine there'll probably be a few more in the GAA. But what I mean about this being one isolated incident is a World Cup gives you a chance to put everybody in the mix all at once. Mm. And it's very visual because it's on the television yeah. every day and you can see, oh, isn't that a great gender balance? The problem is once you're out of the big picture limelight, you know, Cora might do a few. We might have a few other, like Mags Darcy will do a little bit. Anna Geary will obviously be on for the GA during the summer. But they're in pockets and it's less noticeable. Mm. So it doesn't drip into public consciousness. Now, RTE might think we're doing a really good job, which to be fair, they are. But it doesn't probably get the same headlines as a yeah. World Cup does. If well, you know I suppose what I mean. a World Cup, you know, that's going to draw tourists like me True. who wouldn't watch sports. So, uh, you know, yeah. I'd be sitting watching that where I wouldn't watch anything, where I might not watch other games, yeah. you know. So See, there are other sports where you get a bit of it. Like, let's say with athletics, you've got the likes of Sonia O'Sullivan and Dervil O'Rourke who sit in that pundit's chair regularly and nobody's ever given out that there's too many women on the screen. <laughs> They're going, oh, wow, that's Sonia O'Sullivan. That's Dervil O'Rourke. OK, I know who they are. Yeah, but you so, know. so are we nearly saying though that for women to get on these panels to get to, to, to be able to speak they have to be flipping at the top of their game like they have to be nearly world champions probably. like is that really what we're saying it yes. probably shouldn't be the yes. case Margaret and but it bar, is yeah the reality like, is that's and a high bar it's well all the studies show that women have to work twice as hard if not more to prove their expertise to even get in the chair but then they have to keep proving it over and over again mm. where men are automatically considered to be experts just because mm. they're men so the bar is it's not even just high it's it's astronomical mm. it's way in the stratosphere um and this is just again our conditioning you know why do we assume that men's voices have more mm. authority than women's voices why is it that we don't want to see female experts or do mm. we? And that the, is it just that they're not there, that we're not used to it, mm. as you were saying, Jack? Well, all those names you mentioned, I mean, I know those women's names because yeah. they're flippin' famous for what they do. Yeah. That's wrong. You know, like, that that we need them to be as good as but they are. But you see, the more people are accepting of it, then the better it is. Like, let's say, for instance, I'd be friendly with Fiona Coughlin, the former rugby player, and she captained Ireland to a grand slam for the mm. Irish women's team. She's now a regular pundit on RTE. She does a great job. You'll regularly see her face mm. on any rugby coverage that RTE put out. And people no longer say, oh, why is she there? Because they get it. Mm. But only because she won a Grand Slam. If they didn't win a Grand Slam, there's a good chance she wouldn't be on the yeah, telly. Sure. You know sure, what I mean? It's a high bar. Have it you, is a high bar. Have you, how long have you been, you've been in your job? Uh, 12 years. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And have you been the subject of any negative response from the public as regards Not sport? really, no. no. I mean, at the start, I do remember, like I present Sunday Sport on Radio 1, and I remember at the start just there being a few texts and stuff of get that woman off the radio kind of thing. But like, I mean, to be honest, that's kind of par for the course. You sort of get used to that. You're just like, all right, okay, grand. I would never get that now. Would you not? No. Never. Um, Like, I couldn't tell you. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not openly saying, come and, you know, come and shoot me down, please. That'd be great. Um, Because nobody really wants to do that. Like, I wouldn't generally, I'd try to block it out even if if it was there anyway. And I, I think, as presenters, maybe we're a little bit more accepted than the pundits for some reason. I think maybe it's because in RTE you've got a lot of them, like you've got Joanne Cantwell, who's mm. now extremely well established, is going to be the new Sunday game presenter. You've got Ivani Quillen, Claire McNamara. Then in TV3, you've got Sinead Kassan, as myself. So I think 
as presenters, it's probably a bit more accepted mm. and it's the norm. So I don't think anybody yeah, really gets as much of it. How do you cross over then to be, to, to be the analyst, to be the voice of, like, how does that happen opinion. then? To have so the opinion. What you're talking about is, so, so you're in tricky. that presenting, presenting the facts, presenting the, the coverage, but yet the opinion side. I'm curious mm, about that because I'm that whole about thing that. about women not having an opinion. Yeah, so when do you get to sit, sit in that? No, not you. But when do when are we going to see a significant amount of women sitting, you know, getting a, getting that third seat mm. beside, you know, Eamon and so like when does that happen that they get to say this is what I think? Well, I I, think I, I do think a bit of it comes down to normalizing everything. You know, whether it's sport, business, politics, the more you hear a woman on air, the more normal the whole thing becomes and then it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to see Stephanie Roach sitting beside him and Dunphy or whatever but, but no she hasn't but like this was her first tournament so I mm. think the more you get into something you say okay there's another tournament we're going to have a Euros mm. there's obviously a, a Women's World Cup this year which you know if that were to be on TV that would be Will an opportunity TV, for more know? we don't know yet it would be great um, I know RTE would love to do it um, where's it coming is it Russia also no 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 okay. it's in France oh, it's next a year thing. so a uh, totally different tournament okay. and everything now Ireland are not in it sadly but mm. I mean the one thing that women's sport has opened up is an opportunity for national broadcasters like RTE to go after that kind of sport because it hasn't been there before it hasn't been widely done but now with the success of the rugby team now we've started doing a bit of the soccer you might see more women's sport coming into the fore in the next few years and I think that could be where some of the opportunities start coming and that'll normalise I think what's noticeable and and it's sort of you know you wouldn't think of Fox the the US network has been trailblazing this card but their sports coverage of soccer has been because Women's soccer is huge in America, yeah. as you know. Mm. So they have had women commentators because... See, success changes a lot of that, though. You know, like I think because the women's rugby team did so well, all of a sudden then Fiona Coughlin is all over the TV. Lynn Cantwell does a little good bit with RT as well. Joey Neville, who played that day, is now one of the, like a very famous referee and has gotten huge recognition out of it. But the success is actually what drives that as opposed to any of them. Like I know a load of female sports players who are brilliant talkers and I'd be saying, she's a great yapper, get her on a panel or do that, she's brilliant. And they'd be there going... Yeah, but will anybody know who they are? And I'd be there going, well, you're, you're getting a lot. <laughs> and, and they don't say that about men. No. no. They don't say that about men. And that's the whole thing. What My is it bar. about the kind of the invisibility mm. as well? And and then there's that whole thing of how many do you have to get on? So th- there's a tipping point thing. They say at 30%, you stop noticing the difference between men okay. and women. And that can be the case on panels, uh, on boards, on anything where women are having a hard time getting through. So that 30% is the figure. So, you know, we're even get to 30 percent. Well, we've been stuck at between 20 and 25 percent for the past eight years. And there were are some instances when on radio panels, especially during the financial crisis, female representation experts was only five percent. Wow. Five percent. So I just wonder, are there zones where like women aren't allowed to have an opinion still? You know, I'm just curious about that. And now joining us in studio is, uh, having found a parking space, and indeed the Irish (laughs) Times is a slight nightmare to get to sometimes, is uh, Stephanie Roach. Stephanie, thanks so much for coming in. Now, you have been talked about in glowing terms, of (laughs) course, (laughs) um, because we've been talking about how was the World Cup for women and in terms of broadcasting. And so tell me about you. How has the World Cup been for you? 
Well, I think I've enjoyed the World Cup for as long as I can remember. Mm. I've always liked watching it and, and watched the football. Obviously, I had my first experience of punditry this year, which has been really and enjoyable. How was that? I've really enjoyed it. And my first one was actually on with Jackie as well, which definitely helped because I've it. been with Jackie before with different stuff. So that helped me settle in, I suppose. But And I, who else was on the panel? Um, the first day was Shay Given and Kevin Doyle. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, you are there equal in terms of your career, more. You know, you yeah. you've have... Fantastic career, so you shouldn't feel any, any way oh shy about your opinion. And did you? Not really, to be honest. I think the two guys kind of made it easy for me did as they? well. They were both really nice guys, and and as I said, Jackie was there too, so that kind of helped. And, and I've done a little bit of work at RTE before, so that kind mm. of definitely helped me settle in. But mm. it's more so the public opinion that you'd be worried about maybe after. And was the game. there any? Was there any feedback? Or to any? be fair, I got a lot of positive feedback which I was happy to see you're always going to get the odd kind of moron that doesn't know it and doesn't <laughs> want to see any sort of change and that's I think that's where I've always faced even with my, my football career I always get a kind of like women's football's crap this that and the other so I'm kind of used to that right. but I think in general it, it was quite positive which is nice to see yeah well of course because your opinion is based on your vast experience yeah so it's and as an- I said I think the biggest thing for me I think with guys is that I'm a female footballer and I think maybe that because I'm a female footballer, I, don't, I shouldn't have an opinion on the, on the men's game. But really? I'm also mm. a huge fan of men's football. So that's okay. helped me. I think anybody who knows me will tell you that after every game I watch, I'm a big Man United fan. I watch all the Ireland games. I've travelled around the world to watch men's games. So I like to think that I have a lot sure. of input to give on that as well. Mm. But I think for some people, they're probably looking kind of going like, why have you got her on? She's not a male international. And maybe that's something that yeah. needs to change just, just because I don't play male football I can't play male football that's not going to change <laughs> yeah. but I have an opinion on, on the and on tell the me what, game, so. what for you is the difference because it just as a person as I've been saying who really is very very poor I'm one of those you know big big event watchers if it's if it's the World Cup I'll watch if it's women I'll watch but other than that um, what is the difference between being a commentator analyst in the studio somebody who's you know gives their opinion and, and the commentator like that's the commentator who commentates throughout the game seems entirely male yeah, Always. Was, What's that? Obviously, I think Suki Sparks was the first person yeah. to ever do it. And I actually was away when I heard the voice. And even, I think something that I've heard is that, like, obviously you heard some ignorant people say they don't, it's too high-pitched and this, that and the other. And I think the big thing is that it's just different and people need to get used to it. And that's, I think that's the same with female punditry. I think you see a female and you're like, whoa, what's she doing there? And I think it's just kind of like, the more you listen to them and actually listen to their opinion on what they're saying. I thought Vicky Sparks was brilliant. Mm. She had great knowledge on the game. Every player she knew something about. And that's really important as a commentator. You know, need to know every player you're talking about. And, and I think she did, she done a Brazil game, wasn't it? So, I mean, she had a few players that she might not have known who they were. And even male commentators might not have known a lot of kind of information on somebody's players. So I think she done really well in what she done. And obviously to be the first, first woman to do it was yeah. must have been daunting and kind of nerve-wracking for her. But she, she really did handle herself well. And I think the biggest thing for me is that people just need to change perception and look and not go, that's a woman, just listen to what they're saying and, and hopefully what they're saying you'll agree with and, and you'll understand that they actually have got good knowledge on the game. You know, in as much as we can ever imagine, what's the world going to look like in 10 years' time in terms of punditry and, and sports punditry on the telly? And what's, what's it going to look like? Um, I think it's slowly getting better, but I think it's going to take time. I think something that I've noticed particularly is that at the minute it's all older generation male who are watching it and thinking maybe why are women there but at the minute just for me on a personal note watching the Ireland games and going to Ireland games there's a lot of young boys going to the games so I think when they get a little bit older it's not going to be new to them they're going to be kind of saying I've seen these girls play football they can play they know their game so I think it's it's going to get better as kind of the years go on because young boys are going to be used to seeing girls and women doing this sort of thing if that makes sense mm, Yeah. Sure. and at the minute I think it's kind of like my dad for instance grew up watching only men on the television he would have never seen 
a woman he's going to kill me for saying that because it makes him sound old but, <laughs> but you know what I mean it's that sure. kind of it's a perception of like a woman comes on the telly and you're kind of like oh I've never seen that before whereas obviously RT have been brilliant with getting some women in with myself Louise Quinn Hope Solo Jackie's obviously been on quite a bit and, and that's kind of helping the change because young boys are now watching that and as the more they get older they're going to be like oh well that's nothing new I've seen those doing so it yeah. 10 years ago it's you know it's been happening for a while and as well as that I think women's football in general is getting more popular so more young boys will be watching it and seeing the likes of myself, the likes of, as I said, Louise Quinn, Anya O'Gorman, all these players who are getting more publicity and seeing them involved in football. And it it is up to our generation, though, Steph, to actually drive that. Like, I know you go around to a lot of schools and stuff. Like, yeah. my little boy is starting school in September and I took him to one of your qualifiers. I took him to one of the Women's Six Nations games as well. And he's there with his jersey and his tricolour and he's loving it. And he's like, you know, after the game, you know, because I'd know some of the girls mm. and stuff, like Neve Briggs is over there. How are you, Briggsy? You know, whatever. Like, <laughs> they'd love that. Like, Ivani Quillen brought her kids as well and, and thought, like, you know, I think we need to be responsible for driving that, that we we teach our children that this is normal that mm. like I have a daughter as well and like I want her to be on the road kicking the football with my son and if she isn't then I'm not helping the sure. picture do you know what I mean so in four years eight years time the next the World Cup after next what's it going to look like in the studio in as much as you can see from um, like uh, to be honest I actually think things are getting better I think RTE has taken a massive step forward in the, the last 18 months we've got a new boss in there Declan McBennett who is very good about looking at the bigger picture he comes from the newsroom and he understands what the newsroom looks like and that maybe sports should look like something similar our deputy head of sport Clean O'Leary a woman obviously yeah. um, is very clear about what, what it should look like so I think with those people there from an RTE point of view we're definitely heading in the right direction okay. I don't know if it's going to look drastically different. I'm not sure if I can see a picture where in 10 years time it's going to be all women on the desk, but I don't think it should be. I think it should be representative of what Ireland is. And if that's, you know, ageist, racist, sexist, whatever it is, I think we should just broaden the picture so that it's like samples of society. Well, look, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Uh, Jackie, Stephanie and Margaret, thank you so much. That was Jackie Hurley, Stephanie Roach and Margaret Ward speaking to me there. to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. Now, in 2012, aged 25, Beck Dory Stein found herself unemployed and broke with a stint as a teacher at an elite Washington, D.C. boarding school, the most notable thing on her CV. She was desperate. She was working in Lulamont, working as a waitress, picking up loads of jobs. And she answered a Craigslist ad and she ended up working as Barack Obama's stenographer, tracking his every move and recording his every utterance. Beck has written a memoir. There's talk of actually a seven-figure advance that she got for it. So this this was a big deal in publishing terms. It's called From the Corner of the Oval Office. And I'm joined by her now on the line from Philadelphia. Beck Dory Stein's book, new book, for which Beck, and I'm going to be probably asking you later, did you really get a seven-figure fee for this? For the Is that your advance? And I can say congratulations. But um, <laughs> uh, its title is From the Corner of the Oval Office. 
But the subtitle tells a lot. It says one woman's true story of her accidental career in the Obama White House. Now, there's so much in that sentence. So accidental career. You got the job. First of all, the job is a stenographer. Now, when I think of a stenographer, I think of a woman in, you know, twin set and pearls and, and horn rim glasses. They still exist? You and me both. I had the same image and I didn't think they did still exist in the 21st century, but they do. And there are courtroom stenographers who have a ton of skill. They can type in real time. They can use shorthand. But the White House stenographers are actually hired more for their discretion and their awareness of global affairs and grammar. And so because of that, I was able to take the job and even if I just had an English background, an English mm. literature background. Now, the thing, the thing about it is, and again, I didn't know this until I read your book, is that every utterance the president says in public is, is recorded, every utterance, whether it's, you know, a congressional speech or whether it's, you know, meeting Boy Scouts in, in, a, in a local hall. That's true. And it just reflects so well on President Obama that every utterance and he still sounded great. <laughs> now, were you a little bit in love with with Obama like everybody else? Uh, I was. And he actually spoke at my college graduation and his values lined up with my values. But it really wasn't until I got to the White House and I got to see him up close that I was like, oh, my gosh, he's as good as I thought he was and actually even better. He's smarter, he's kinder, he's funnier in person. So yeah, I mean, the longer you're around him, the more you have to fall in love with him because he's, he's as he appears in public, only warmer because he's in 3D. And the thing about the job as a stenographer, again, you'd think, you know what, that's a bit of a stationary job. Not at all. This book, you, you traveled with the president, which to me, I would imagine that's an enormous thrill getting into, you know, Air Force One and, and heading off across across the Atlantic. That was an, that's an extraordinary feature of the book. Yes, it's an enormous thrill that never really wears off. It's just crazy to board Air Force One. Um, but yeah, as stenographers, I always joke that we were his professional stalkers because <laughs> we had to be wherever he was, but keep a very, very low profile and sort of blend into the scenery. But I got to go to 45 different countries. We actually went to 60 countries, but you know, we came to the UK quite a bit. And yeah, I got to see everything up close and behind the scenes. Now, and of course, another feature of this book is it's a lot about you. It's a lot about your personal relationships, um, romantic and otherwise, but also the relationship in the in the team, in the the Obama team, the traveling circus, the, the, the people that are get on that Air Force want to do all their other jobs. I mean, had you expected that? How did you handle that? Well, as a complete outsider, I never planned to work in the White House. And then when I landed this job on Craigslist, it was like, oh, my gosh, I need to write about everything I'm seeing. And what was such a privilege was seeing how hard these people work up close. I mean, I can speak from the Obama administration. I don't know what's going on. Well, now, it seems to me that if you work in that entourage, that's you. That's your life. You don't really have much of a life outside that. Is, Is that the case? That's very much true. It's not so much a job as a lifestyle. It it takes up your whole life because you're working on his schedule and his schedule is obviously affected by world events and tragedies that no one saw coming. And so it's like you always had to have your phone in your hand. You had to be checking it incessantly. And so your personal life kind of drops by the wayside because all of a sudden an event pops up and you can't go to your parents' anniversary or you can't go to your best friend's birthday and that's just the way it goes. And is that hard or do, does everybody understand that because you get to say, sorry, I'm, I'm with POTUS actually. I mean, or is it, <laughs> you know, it's not like the rest of us who say I have to do a shift in the newsroom, you know, like. Right, well, it, it basically turns into, that's why you're, my friend's 
from the Obama White House became my family because no one else could really understand just what a short leash we were on. And luckily, I had great friends outside of the White House who kind of kept me grounded. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you're so annoying. But yes, just show up whenever you can show up. But that's why we were so close, because we were together all the time. Now, you talk about discretion, that that's what helped you land the job, because um, you'd worked in that in that very Tony um, school in, in, in Washington that, you know, the Obama kids went to, the Chelsea Clinton went to. So they, they sort of knew they, they cut of your jib when you applied for that job through Craigslist, which is sort of an odd place for their to be a job placing of this caliber, I suppose. Um, But you talk about discretion being important. How does that sit then with actually producing a book about your experience? Well, I was not a very good stenographer, clearly. (laughs) After five years, it was not a good fit for me. I was, you know, my job was to type other people's words when really I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. And so it was like, of course I had to write this stuff. I couldn't not write down what I was getting to see every day because it was so thrilling. And so this this book could not have not happened okay. because I was getting to be there. Now, it's kind of a, to me, it's sort of a, an interesting hybrid of a book because it's not unusual for people to come off the campaign trail and then to write about their experience, to write about, you know, from a, it tends to be from a policy, from a political, geopolitical point of view. This isn't. This melds your personal experience. You had a big romance throughout it. You had a you know boyfriend. You had all these. So this is sort of a hybrid book, isn't it? I think so. And I was excited to write it just because it was like, wait, this is missing. And because I was a high school English teacher before this, I thought often about, okay, if my former students landed this job off of Craigslist, which they very well could have done, Mm -hmm. I just happened to be the lucky one. What would I want them to know? And because my personal life got so complicated (laughs) so quickly, it was like, and I was so hard on myself about it that I wanted young women in their 20s navigating their first and second and third jobs to know, okay, this is not unusual. And these are sort of going to be the roadblocks. And you can only be so hard on yourself, but also just kind of keep open eyes about all of these different problems you might encounter. So now that you're not in the corner in the Oval Office with your your trusty microphone getting set up, ready to record every word, what (laughs) what have you been doing? So you've written this book. What now? I'm so excited. I get to write a second book. Fantastic. And it's about whatever I want. So I've been joking. I made a joke last night that it was going to be a a book of haikus about cats. And it was a complete joke, but half the audience took me seriously. Yeah. And half the audience was extremely excited and the other half was just devastated. But no, it will be, I think it will be a novel, which I'm really excited to write since it won't be about my personal life. Excellent. Well, look, thank you so much, Beck, for joining us here in Dublin. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today. Thanks to Jackie Hurley, Stephanie Roach, Margaret Ward and Beck Dory Stein for speaking to me today. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can mail us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. Also, we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time. So if you like what we do, then please head along to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with Rob O'Sullivan on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.